Hey everyone, Kim here from This Is Your City. I just thought I'd do a quick intro here because our guest, Nigel Beckles, will be in a two-part series. This is part one. Nigel has so much to offer and so much to say as an expert in abusive relationships. He's an author, co-founder of Abusive Relationships, Reflections on Abusive Relationships. He has a lot to offer. So tune in next week for part two when we delve into the narcissistic personalities of abusive relationships, which he's also an expert in. So thank you for tuning in. This is part one. This is your city. This is your city wants to know. We want to know the background, the heartbeat of what makes up our beautiful cities. We dig into the backstories from the struggles to the successes of our local entrepreneurs, small business owners, artists, not-for-profit organizations, and the many, many people who make up the intricate tapestry of our communities. Real people, real stories, by you and for you. But wait, that's not it. I love giving my opinion. Just ask anyone who knows me. We can't get enough of the honest, gritty feedback of places that we spend our hard-earned money. I'll give you the good, the bad, and the ugly of the places I eat, sleep, and visit. Disclaimer, my opinion, my opinion only. All right, so come on. Let's get to it. Hello, and welcome, and thank you once again for tuning in to This Is Your City. As always, I am Kimberly Wardell, your host. Today's guest, I have to tell you, an amazing resume. This man's accomplishments are are outstanding. Let me just tell you a few things about him before I I introduce him to you. He's an author. He has a book called How to Avoid Making the Big Relationship Mistakes. And being published this year, he has another book coming out called How to Avoid Abusive Relationships, a guide to toxic personalities. But that's not it. He's not just an author. I don't even want to say just an author. He's also a qualified radio presenter. He's been a radio host for many years, online advisor. He's also kind of an an actor, really. He calls it contribution. I call it he acted in a a documentary. He played himself. It's an award-winning documentary movie, Looking for Love. It's out on DVD, and you can also get it on Amazon Prime, which is amazing. Check it out, Looking for Love for love. He's also a member of Survivor Provider Services. This is dedicated to helping support professionals and organizations give provide information regarding victims and survivors of abusive relationships. He, he helps and he provides support for that. He's a co-founder of Reflections on Abusive Relationships. The acronym for that is ROAR, like a lion, R-O-A-R, Reflections of Abusive Relationships. He's also got a support group. It's for victims and survivors of abuse, and it's over 21,000 members on Facebook. So later on, we'll get the information for that if you wanted to, uh, to check it out and reach out to him. Nigel Beckles is my guest. Nigel Beckles, hi, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. How are you today? Hi, Kimberly. Yes, I'm fine. Great to be with you. Wow, that's an impressive resume. Thank you. Impressive resume. And we will get to it, I promise you. But I like to 
things just a little bit differently. I like to kind of rewind, go a little bit backwards. So if you don't mind, I'd like to go back in time just a little bit. So for our listeners, so they get to know you a little bit. Now, no, that's fine. Yeah. So with that, with that introduction, you have conquered so many goals in your life. You're continuing to to dream and conquer. You have drive, but that had to come from somewhere. So, Nigel, tell me, take me back to little Nigel, young Nigel as a child, as a teenager. What kind of what kind of child was Nigel Beckles? Well, a curious child. I'm still curious up till now. Uh, but I grew up in a home where I did witness domestic violence and domestic abuse, and that did have an impact on me as a as an adult uh, in terms of trying to work out what was right, what was wrong, and you instinctively I knew. I know the difference between right and wrong, but at the same time, you're kind of growing up in an environment where, where there's domestic violence. You're never sure what's going to happen next. It's a very insecure environment for a child. Uh, on top of that, one of my parents had very strong narcissistic um, traits. Um, and if you grow up with a, a parent who's narcissistic, then you're more likely to be conditioned to accept toxic behavior as acceptable behavior. And as an adult, you're more likely to fall prey to a narcissistic abuser because you're conditioned to accept toxic behavior as being normal, you know, so. So you grew up in a relationship witnessing abuse and narcissistic, uh, a parent who had narcissistic tendencies what were you as a child, as a teenager dealing with that? How did you, were you athletic? Did you join the arts? How did you, how did you deal with that? And how did you, how did you put yourself into something else so that it didn't consume you? Well, as a, a teenager, um, I actually started, started to do uh, martial arts. Um, subconsciously, the objective was to protect my mother because when the violence occurred, I would try and protect my mum. Um, obviously, being a small child, I used to get thrown aside and probably a little bit abused myself. Uh, so I started martial arts probably when I was about 11 years old, and I was obsessed. I was Bruce Lee obsessed. <laughs> Any, anything Bruce Lee could do, I wanted to be able to do. Two-finger press-ups, flips, back flips, etc. So that kind of consumed quite a lot of my life, actually, when I think back now, because I would train every day. I was going to maybe three or four martial art classes per week. And that's where you were expelling all of that energy that was going on. Yeah, you know, and I was, you know, studying different styles, practicing different styles, like judo, karate, kung fu, um, taekwondo. You yeah. still do it? Oh, uh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish. I still try and obviously try and keep relatively fit, uh, you know. But then I've also been quite, um, I wouldn't say 
intellectual, but I've always enjoyed writing and I've always enjoyed research. Uh, in my late teens, I joined a a band at school, a musical band, reggae band. So I used to yeah. write the used to write the songs because I was like co lead singer. So I used to write write the lyrics for the songs. So I've had different interests. I mean, I mean my interests are quite, I suppose diverse mm -hmm. but when i was at school uh my favorite subjects were english language english literature and history oh i love history yeah. mm. what about siblings do you have any siblings i have one brother who is younger than i so i'm the i'm the oldest and is he an then, author as well no no we, we are quite different in many ways but you know, nothing wrong with being different but um nothing he else. has different interests and he pursues different different things uh i also have a half brother um because um from my father's side of the family um unfortunately he has turned out to be the devil incarnate um but we'll um we might explore that later on <laughs> yes and is he i just want to know because this this kind of has context i suppose with what we'll talk about is he your father's son? Correct. Okay. Because your father was the abuser in your home. Well, that's a, diff a difficult one to call, really. Because from my perspective as a child, yes. But then there is something called emotional baiting. And I, would be, I could walk into a situation where there was a, a massive argument or physical fight going on, but I wasn't privy to to know what had happened prior. Right. So that's uh, amazing that you can have that mindset. That's amazing. A lot of people I've not heard anybody say it in those sense of terms. You weren't privy to what happened before. And there is that emotional baiting. Some people they just grab sides and that's all it is, right? It's mm -hmm. that one. And somebody's at fault. So that you would say that really helps us open up to to a different viewpoint mm. well i did well i was of that mindset you know as a as right. a child and as a teenager hence my my rabid interest in martial arts to protect my mother but right. at the end of the day with time and age and research comes a little bit of wisdom and you know really i mean sometimes yes it's, um, domestic violence, domestic abuse is a is a black and white issue in terms of, well, one person's the abuser, the other person is the victim. Even though I know a lot of people don't like the word victim, but that's if, so, if someone's abusing you or then you know you're you're being abused effectively. Right. Uh, so <clears throat> as you kind of do more research and get more understanding, then you kind of understand it from maybe a different point of view not everything in life is black and white it would be very easy in life if everything was binary but life isn't like that right well let me let me just ask you this so we we mentioned your books and love love is such a tricky thing just the word love is a tricky thing isn't it <laughs> <laughs> so i'm married but i can tell you right now in today's day and age i would never want to go back out onto that dating scene i would not want to be a part of any of this world of love today and 
it's complicated. It's compliment kids. So I'm wondering what made you become so interested in this intricate, complicated world of love and relationship? What made you, you become a part of this? Well, as you mentioned, my book is called How to Avoid Making the Big Relationship Mistakes. And I have made most of them, <laughs> if not all of them. So initially the book started off as a quest of really trying to understand my journey at that particular moment in my life. And it just kind of blossomed from there because I didn't really know how deep a topic or subject relationships are. It's only when I started to do the research and I ended up doing 800 pages for, my, for the book draft, um, five years research, uh, because it's like going down a rabbit hole. Well, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? You know, so the final published book came out at around 400 pages, which is quite a hefty, hefty That's book. That's a big edit. Yeah, that's a big edit. Thank, thank <laughs> the Lord, thank the Lord for my lovely editor Denise Roberts. Yes, so uh, yeah, so really, the book, the first half of the book is deals with self development, certain issues like that, um, process of self discovery, uh, self esteem, emotional intelligence, the science of love, which is actually two chapters. Because there is a biochemical side to attraction. Right. You know, and being involved and being bonded with another person. So it's not necessarily all lovey-dovey, you know, Romeo and Juliet kind of <clears throat> situation. It's, it's, quite, it's quite, a deep, uh, quite a deep topic. And one of the, the first chapters, actually, the first chapter is called uh, Love Myths. Because a lot of us get programmed into believing these myths about love, you know, fueled by Romeo and Juliet and right. movies, Hollywood movies, you know, Love uh, at First Sight, Sleepless in Seattle, etc. Um, but real life is rarely like that. I think after you get, you're in a relationship for, it's even less than a year, but let's just say a year, mm. realize that the fairy tale is just that. It's just a fairy tale. Well, most relationships go through the, the honeymoon stage, you know, with the golden period, you know, yeah. as, as it's called, you know. So, yeah, obviously, you know, your hormones are popping, you know, <laughs> your, your oxycodone is, is flowing, your bonding, etc. Uh, and then real life kicks in. And then real life kicks in. Yeah, you know, a year to 18 months. Yeah, a year to 18 months is generally considered the honeymoon phase, the honeymoon period. Well, so your first book is about personal development and healthy relationships, romantic relationships. Well, the first part of the book, then the second part of the book is gets into the nitty gritty of relationships, you know, like online dating, compatibility issues, mm. compatibility hazards, um, relationship progression, you know, how a healthy relationship should progress. progress. So, um, yeah, it covers a lot of, um, a lot of ground. A lot of ground and everybody should get this book. I mean, we think we know things and then we read something from an expert like yourself and we realize we don't know much of anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's trial and error, but sometimes there's, there's people out there, there's 
there's help that can we can we can read we can listen to it doesn't we don't have to go through so much error and you help with that okay i've been mm -hmm. there and this you've gone down the rabbit hole for some of us so that we don't have to do it but you could probably write a hundred books on this this topic and still not cover all of it mm. would you say so well the issue becomes well certainly for me with the first book is what do you leave in and what do you take out because you know because mm. you know, my editor had to go through 800 pages of of material and i'm a two-finger typist i'm not a, you know <laughs> so at the end of the day yeah you have to decide really what are you going to include i think the good thing for me was the the material that was omitted from the first book i've been able to use that for the forthcoming second book right so um yeah so, it has, so yeah so the the stuff that was left out has not necessarily been wasted never wasted and on that topic your your book coming out this year is about abusive relationships quite the opposite of the spectrum of the healthy development healthy romantic relationships it's quite the opposite so before we get into that let's talk about the personal development though the, that side of things i mean it should be obvious to some of us but it's downright difficult sometimes it's really hard so how do we create those personal boundaries for ourselves? You write about personal boundaries in your book. How do we create that? Well, the first thing is to have a look at yourself, which is a, something a lot of people are reluctant or <laughs> resistant uh, to do. What I have observed is that you know, people go into relationships, um, the relationship doesn't work out, um, and then they're busy pointing fingers saying, no, it's his fault or it's her fault. This hasn't worked out. But you have to kind of have enough self-awareness to actually look at yourself and say, well, how did I contribute to that? How did I um, negatively impact on that particular relationship? What, what did I do wrong? What baggage did I walk into that relationship with? Because right. what you'll tend to find is if someone's got like, quite a lot of emotional baggage that baggage will eventually come out in the relationship in the form of conflicts so you'll notice that certain people have relationship patterns so their partners change but the outcome doesn't because the outcome is usually a relationship failure uh, and then they go looking for love somewhere else and the same thing happens again. So it's just a pattern, a pattern of behavior. So until that pattern is broken in terms of the individual, they're just gonna carry on on this carousel, on this merry-go-round, hmm. forever pointing the finger at the other person. That's right. I, I say looking at your ugly, you have to look in the mirror and mm. look at your own ugly, which mm. he likes to do. It's painful sometimes. In order to advance and become a healthier person so that you find healthier relationships, it's like a must do. You have to look in the mirror and accept that you have ugly yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not necessarily always ugly. It may just no. it may just be you have certain personality traits or certain personality tendencies. Um, that could make you probably vulnerable to becoming involved in a relationship that is not healthy. Yeah. So for example, 
if you grow up in a home and you are um, the caregiver as a child, so say your parent has got a drink problem, a drug problem, a uh, mental health problem, that child can end up being the caretaker. So the roles are reversed effectively. But then when they become adults, they have still got that mindset which leads to codependency. So then they get into a relationship where they're always giving and caretaking their partner. Now, if their partner has got abusive tendencies, well, that's going to suit the abuser perfectly because abusers are all about power and control and taking. And someone who's got codependent tendencies are, are givers, just like someone who's like got strong empathic traits. You know, they're givers, but they're givers for a different, different reason as it were. I often hear uh, codependents and empaths compared, and there, there's the, no comparison in the sense that the motivation is different. I would say a codependent can be created as a child, but also a codependent can be created in an abusive relationship as well. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen, and it's happened to myself, where a person can be quite confident have high self-esteem going into a relationship but if they go into a relationship with an abuser the first task of an abuser the first objective is power and control and the easiest way to control somebody is to lower their self-confidence lower their self-esteem and to and isolate them that's one of one of the strategies of an abuser they like to um isolate their partner because that makes them easier to control because they haven't got the support network there Right. So let me just ask you this. So you don't think, and I'm, I'm trying to put this through my head, you can't, can you, you cannot be codependent as well as a controller? Because I'm wondering, yeah, can you, can you be both in the real, can you be that in one person, a controller and a codependent person? Yes, 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 you can. Um, unfortunately, uh, for the codependent, they can seek to control by their giving. Right, right. Um, but that's not necessarily going to work with an abuser because they're, they're still going to be taking, taking all day long. Right. Um, yeah, so it is quite possible. Um, someone who's got codependent tendencies will try to control because maybe part of their giving is actually a manipulation tactic to get their partner to do what they want them to do. Hmm. I'm thinking about it and I'm just going to be very vulnerable and transparent at this moment. I think I'm better. I don't think I'm as codependent. When I was younger, I was codependent, but I'm also a controller and I'm working on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think because of my background and, and how I was, how I grew up in situations, I needed to have that control because I was, it was always so out of control. And I'm also codependent because when I feel or see people in, in those kind of roles, I want to be that help them because I've been there. Hmm. That's why I'm thinking, I think I'm kind of both and maybe both of them are a little unhealthy. <laughs> Codependent and controller. Well, every, well, I look at things on a spectrum because as you know, I uh, study and help people who've been involved with narcissists. So with narcissism, uh, that's measured on a spectrum. So basically the more traits a person has so there are nine traits i'll do a quick explanation so there are nine traits for uh 
to be officially diagnosed as a narcissist. Okay, so for example, strong sense of entitlement, um, arrogance, always envious, etc. But you know, if someone wanted to find out the nine traits, and so just Google it online, nine traits of a narcissist. That's all there. So basically, it's measured on a um, measured on a spectrum, and we all have spectrums of behaviour. You know, it, it's really just a question of, you know, is it damaging other people? That is always my Right. litmus test you know is the behavior or the attitude damaging to somebody else you know because obviously we all like to have control of our lives i mean being in control of our lives makes us feel secure you know, nice to have enough money in the bank enough food in your fridge etc right um, but when the, someone turns into a control freak mm. then basically what they're trying to do they're trying to manage their insecurities by controlling somebody else. Right. That makes sense. And do you think it's the same guidelines? It's the same for men and women? Well, yes. Yes. I mean, the thing sometimes, well, there's a couple of things to unpack there. First of all, um, society often gives women who are abusers um, a free card or get out of jail free card for want of a better phrase um because that's basically not society's view of women uh so there are a lot of guys out there who are being uh abused and uh suffering in silence and the guys have the problem in the sense that as men we are not socialized or orientated as children to express our feelings so it's for guys generally it's you know as children, you know, big boys don't cry, you know, right. man up, etc. So there's something uh, called the guy code. So guys generally, they'll talk about work, sports, cars, you know, and anything to avoid actually talking about their emotions because they don't want to be judged. They don't want to be seen as being less masculine as their peers. But then that leads to the other problem. The other problem being that the suicide rate for men approximately is two-thirds higher than it is for women. So when you do the research, the research tells me that more women attempt suicide, but more men succeed at suicide. Wow. Uh, So, for example, I had uh, uh, a childhood friend. You know, we were always in and out of each other's house, etc., as children. And um, I think 19, sorry, 2014. Yeah, 2014, he went to a car park, high-rise car park, and just stepped off the roof. Mm. And that was that. Uh, So in certain senses, you can say, well, a suicide attempt can be a cry for help. Because, you know, someone might take a, a load of pills, but there's a possibility they may wake up. If you step off a car park roof, you can't say halfway down, oh, I've changed my mind. Right. I think there has been, and there is, and maybe there are, I don't know. There are people who use that as an abusive tactic as well in their relationships who, who are constantly talking about they're going to, they're going to end their life or they attempt many times as a way of controlling that relationship as well. Mm -hmm. I've known that in my personal life. 
of people who use that. And that's an abusive tactic. Would you not say so? Somebody who's always threatening to take their life or attempting to take all these pills to control that relationship. Well, it, it is a abuse tactic or it can be an abuse tactic, but it's also a control tactic. Because at the end of the day, if someone's threatening to take their own life because you've left them, for example, well, it's quite possible they may do it. But in my experience and in my observations, very rare, very rare they follow through. It's a control um, tactic. Yeah, so it's like a control tactic at the end of the day. So again, if we go back to uh, narcissists, so in the narcissist basically has a relationship cycle. So the cycle is idealize, devalue, discard. They may well come back around, which is called the hoover. Now, this is where the hoover is relevant in the sense of they're now trying to get back in to the ex-partner's life. And one of, the, one of the things they will do is pretend to be sick or pretend to be suicidal you know, pulling on the heartstrings to say, oh, you know, I'm, I know I'm suffering, I really need you, I'm distraught, etc. But that's just a ploy. And once it, a person gets sucked back in, that same abusive relationship cycle will just go around again, probably the next time faster. So how do, okay, so how do we avoid that? So we're working on ourselves, we're, we're, we're getting ourselves healthy, we're recognizing some of our own pitfalls, and we think, okay, I've been working on myself, I'm doing well, I'm doing okay, now it's time for me to go out and find that special someone. So then what qualities should we be looking for in a partner to avoid some of these pitfalls? Is it even possible? Right, well, uh, well again, in my book, I've got a chapter called um, Seven Essential Character Traits. Basically, something the things you should be looking for in a potential uh, partner. So I always say, well, when we go shopping generally, we make a list. We make a list with the objective of coming home with what we went out to get. Well, if you're on the dating scene, a list is no different. I always advise people write a list. What type of person are you looking for? That's the first thing. You're looking for someone who's like healthy, got good self-esteem, honest, has integrity, all of those you know, positive things. Uh, but unfortunately, you could be looking for those things, but you also need to understand how to spot red flags. Right. Because the reality is there are a lot of people out there walking around with undiagnosed personality disorders. So they're chronically mentally and emotionally unstable. They've just never been diagnosed. And it's going through their life, you know, damaging other people. So you have to kind of be aware of what potential red flags could be. And those red flags should be your deal breakers, i.e. not acceptable. So then we, we, we go back to like, you know, healthy personal boundaries, you know, what is acceptable for you as a person and what is not. So it's kind of like a two-tier kind of approach that I recommend you know yeah obviously work on yourself make sure you've got selfie you know healthy self-esteem make sure that you're not carrying any baggage from the past that's going to impact you know your next relationship but also you know clue yourself up in terms of you know what potential red flags 
uh, look like. Because otherwise, if you just ignore a red flag, and worse still, if you ignore your intuition, because I always say, trust your gut instinct. Because right. I know in my own life, every time I have ignored my intuition, I have paid. Yeah. Sometimes heavily. Right. So sometimes you may not necessarily have the evidence, may not be anything particularly obvious. You might just feel that something's a bit off. Well, if you get that feeling, pay attention. Pay attention, yeah. Well, the thing is, Nigel, sometimes we say, well, I found myself in this, or you hear people say that I found myself in these unhealthy relationships. I don't suspect that we knowingly or wantingly go into relationships thinking, oh, it's going to be abusive or toxic. So Mm -hmm. we find ourselves in these situations. It's We ignored the red flags. We were ignoring possibly our own intuition, our own gut feeling. How do we spot that? Because people who are codependent, sometimes that that nurturing aspect of them comes out and they think that they, oh, it's okay, I can help them with this or I can change this in them. And then before you know it, you're so deep into the relationship when you should have been able to say bye-bye a long time ago. How do, I guess I got to find the question for that, what I'm saying. like we We don't find ourselves in unhealthy relationships more often than not. Sometimes we do. People change. They're not who we thought they were. Some of those red flags, what would they be? Well, mm, well, you've kind of got a little bit down the road a bit there. Because <laughs> first of all, you have to understand with abusers, they don't come with a label on their forehead saying, well, I'm an abuser. They come with a lot of charisma often, a lot of charm often uh there's something called love bombing so in love bombing basically the abuser showers the person with lots of love and gifts and attention etc now that's to suck the person in it's only when they're in and part of that love bombing strategy is it will make a person ignore their intuition it will make them ignore the red flags because they're too busy getting swept off their feet. It's only when they're in, and then the the true behavior starts to come out, the true nature of the abuser starts to come out, they're already emotionally invested. They're emotionally bonded. And then the other thing that I see a lot of uh, is trauma bonding. Um, Sometimes it's called uh, Stockholm Syndrome. Right. So the story of Stockholm is there was a bank robbery in the 70s. X amount of people were taken hostage. I think the the, uh, situation lasted a week. Anyway, the long and short of it is, is that there were female hostages taken. Now, one female hostage wanted to marry one of the hostage hostage takers. Another one of the women, they um, posted bail for another one of the hostages takers so but basically trauma bonding is caused by what they call intermittent reinforcement right so it's if someone treats you nice then they treat you nasty so it's a cycle of like hot and cold behavior so the person at the end of this eventually they they end up i biochemically attached to their abuser 
that's one and then two they're always forever chasing that golden period or that honeymoon phase where everything was wonderful and lovely um but during that love bombing phase what's happening is again on a biochemical level all your good feeling hormones are getting triggered you know your dopamine and you know your adrenaline to an extent your um oxycotin so oxycotin is a hormone which is known as the cuddling hormone which basically bonds one person to another person so women have more oxycotin men have more testosterone yeah so a woman produces oxycotin say if they have an orgasm or when they're breastfeeding their child they can even produce it when they're holding hands with their partner hence that's why it's called the bonding the bonding right. kind of hormone or the cuddling hormone so there's a lot of emotional but also biochemical things going on not only during the honeymoon phase or the love bombing phase but there's there's also stuff going on if it turns out to be an abusive relationship there again biochemical issues going on as well and if you're trauma bonded to someone it can be very difficult to leave them if i had a pound because obviously i live in the uk so we've got pounds in so if i had a pound for every comment i i see online saying oh i really miss him i know he's abusive but and guys too that's oh i really i really miss her i know i know she really treated me badly but i still want her back they have been trauma bonded because this is now after the you know the relationships have have ended so but they've been trauma bonded but they don't understand what it is i can see what it is because obviously on a on a logical basis why would a person miss an ex partner who has abused them so on the surface it doesn't make sense but when you understand trauma bonding it makes perfect sense i've never heard of trauma bonding and it makes perfect sense doing <laughs> it it makes perfect sense mm. you know and i've i've know i've heard you mention before and in your book values values play a part in building successful relationships so do you think that do you think that we should look for the same similar values do you think that speak just a little bit about the values how important is it in a successful relationship in my opinion very so you got to look at values and beliefs or shared values and beliefs a lot of people make the mistake of thinking oh we share the same interests oh we like horror horror movies or we like sports or we like kicking back and watching netflix those are interests right um you can't really build a a solid relationship going forward on shared interests i'm not saying it's impossible i'm just saying that for me it's more important to have shared values and beliefs because that's a more solid foundation right. so for example if your belief is okay you have christian beliefs you're you're you know a a strong christian for example well getting involved with an atheist may not be the best <laughs> may not be the best move because obviously you don't you don't share the same values or beliefs for that matter and you might have the same values in terms of oh it's not cool to be cruel to somebody else but if you've got different um beliefs that could be an issue not to say that someone who's a christian and someone who's a buddhist for example um they can't form a healthy relationship it really depends on what their 
how respectful they are of each other's beliefs at the end of the day. Uh, but if you've got someone who is, you know, staunchly Christian and you've got someone who's not really that, that interested in that, that could be a problem because I'm, I'm only using Christianity as an example, but you know, but if someone, you know, is a staunch Christian and, you know, so they're going to church every Sunday, et cetera, and their partner's not interested, right. that could, that could cause conflict really when you, when you, when you look at it. And then the other part of that conflict could be um, Wesley Snipes has a saying. I, I love sayings, by the way. Um, <laughs> the person who enters a relationship seeking to change the other person sets the scene for a great deal of conflict, which is another mistake often people make is they go into a relationship, then they try and change the other person, you know. As opposed to if you had shared values and beliefs in the first place, then that, that wouldn't be necessary. Not that it should be necessary anyway. Yeah, I like that. Interests are not the same as values. Mm. Interests are not the same as values and morals. I think a lot of people confuse those and mm. make up. They're not the same. And I really like the way you form this for us. Interests are not the same as values. I think we need to delve more into the person that we're interested in when we're thinking of getting into a relationship. Mm. Think more. We, I think we just go on our emotions, our like first set of emotions first, like, Oh, he's cute or she's pretty. Mm. And we go, I mean, that's normal, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But I think we need to think more in order to avoid some of these abusive relationships that people find themselves in more and more, more and more. Mm. We got to think more about that. We got to get more healthier inside. So I, I love that you would that you say that. Now, your book, "How to Avoid uh, Abusive Relationships: A Guide to Toxic Personalities," we've discussed a few of them already. But give us a few of these toxic personalities that that are right out front in our face that we don't have to like find ourselves in later on. <laughs> this is a guide to toxic personalities. Well, again, we go back to red flags, really. We, we go back to behaviours. So, you know, for me, I look at things like, say I encounter somebody and they are extremely thin-skinned. Well, I would, that would be a red flag to me. Or oh, if someone's selfish or if someone's overly arrogant or if someone's prone to emotional baiting. Uh, you know, there, there are a variety of red flags that you can look for uh, before. But at the end of the day, I don't want to encourage people to be walking around being paranoid. Right. I advocate people being aware. You know, there's a difference between being aware of certain things and, you know, walking around thinking that everyone's an abuser or a potential abuser because that's that's no way to live your life at the end of the day it's just about being aware that's why i always say to people you know don't listen to me you know there's there's a ton of information online you can find out about potential abusers uh red flags obviously you've got to be aware of where you're getting your information from because obviously not everything online is necessarily correct. Uh, but there's plenty of great um, information online where you can, you know, 
just really just pay attention because it's easier to get into a relationship, obviously, or even get married than to get out of it. Because one of the most difficult things is getting yourself out of an abusive relationship because it's not just a question of emotional or physical abuse. It can also be financial abuse, for example. So if the abuser controls all of the resources, well, obviously it's going to be more difficult for a person to leave. Um, if they, And then if you put on top of that, if they're trauma bonded and the abuser um, has control of the finances, well, that's, that's double difficult. And, and so it go, you know, and so it can go on. Uh, and certainly here in the UK, uh, on average, two women a week are murdered by a partner or ex-partner. For domestic and, violence. Yeah, and that's gone up since COVID's um, hit us all across the world. Uh, because what we are finding now is there are a lot of people who are trapped with their abuser because of the lockdown. So it's more difficult for them to reach out for help. On the other side of the coin, um, the support services have been hit by COVID. So the people who work at the support places like, you know, domestic violence shelters, etc., their staff has been diminished because, again, COVID. Right. So it's kind of like a double, a double whammy, basically. Yeah, here too in Canada, I think all over the world, the domestic abuse, domestic violence, child Ooh. abuse has gone, it's gone through the roof. Definitely. You know, like you said, we don't want to walk around being paranoid and looking at everybody as they're an abuser first. But as your book mentions, we do want to learn how to avoid abusive, abusive relationships, how to avoid them. And just like you said, we got to be aware. Just pay attention. Pay attention to those little signs. Don't dismiss them. Don't mm. get paranoid about them. But don't dismiss them. Keep them. And sometimes if you have to write it down, like say you're starting to date a person, a guy or a girl, mm. write those things down. Like you said, right? just be aware see how often it happens. If yeah. it happens too often, well, you probably have your answer right there. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to become aware on how to avoid them. I don't think it's a conversation many people have. Like once we're in it, we discuss it like women more than men, like you've mentioned, but Nigel, you're giving us tools. You're putting things out there for us to say, okay, these things are happening in the world. How do I avoid this? How do I not become a victim of abuse? Well, I don't want to be a survivor of abuse. But I don't want to get into it in the first place. So yeah. you're giving tools for that. Well, I do my best. I mean, at the end of the day, the best advice I can give is don't rush into a relationship in the first place. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Steve Harvey had a book several years ago. Um, what was it called again? Um, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. And right. in that book, he um, has a, a theory or a practice, um, basically the 90-day rule. And his, his view is, well, when you start a new job, generally, you, you go on probation. You don't just get the job straight away, do you? You, know? you, have, you have your 90 days or whatever probation period it may be. And then if you um, pass your probation, then you're given the job permanently. Well, dating to me is not any different. 
Really? You know, instead of just rushing in, take your time. Now, I do say in my first book, I've got a chapter on dating, online dating, etc. So, you know, meet somebody new. You don't want to be giving them what I call the interview date when you're giving them like a zillion questions, you know, in one, one date. But at the same time, if you're dating over a period of time, you know, you can ask certain questions as you're going along, you know, and um, just take your time, really. Because as I said before, it's easy to get into a relationship, but getting out sometimes can be an absolute nightmare. It, it really can be. Uh, and not to say that um, the love at first sight can't happen or it doesn't exist. It, you know, there's always exceptions to the rule. But for me, I say to myself, well, at the end of the day, you can't follow the Hollywood model of, you know, oh, your eyes met across a crowded room and there were fireworks, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yeah, that can happen. But um, not necessarily the best course of action if you're looking for a healthy relationship. No. No, and don't forget Hollywood. Uh, if we're looking at the Hollywood status, like you're saying, just go, <laughs> most of them don't last past a couple months. They get in one argument and they can't handle each other anymore. So mm. don't would, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you're also an, an advocate for victims and survivors of abuse, Nigel. Why? Why did you decide to become such an advocate? I know you're an expert in your field in many things. You're a voice for many. What, what made you become an advocate? Well, I think that goes back to my, uh, my childhood experiences. I'm quite an empathic person. Uh, I don't like to see people suffering. Um, also, as an adult, um, people tend to gravitate to me for advice. I have no idea why, um, but I could meet somebody for the first time and they'll be telling me their life story within 10 minutes. I, I don't know what, what that is about me. It's, so I've always been helping people or trying to advise people and that was part of my motivation to uh write the book as well because i thought well if i had everything in one place like a central like a book i could say okay look that's my book you want to find out about abc there you go uh so yes and then i started i started a group on facebook prior to publishing my book to get feedback on my writing well, that was the basic motivation for starting the group, the group. But then I found people were joining the group, assuming it was a support group. Uh, so I said to my friend, I said, well, why don't we create a support group then? And then if they join this group, thinking it's a support group, then we can signpost them. And we can say, well, we've got a support. This is not a support group, but we have a support group over here quite happily. You can join there. And that's how really the, the online group um, Reflections on Abusive Relationship started. And that was nine years ago. So it'd be 10 years, yeah, 10 years next year. So obviously over the course of the last nine years, you know, I, I read stories every day. I mean, as you said, the group's got 21,000 plus members now. Uh, and again, I'm all about raising awareness. So I make sure that I post relevant articles um, to that group, you know, daily, but also other groups, because that's not the only group that I belong to. Yeah, I 
co-created it with a friend, but I belong to other support groups as well. So when I'm on Facebook, for example, they're, they're going to come up on, on my, on my newsfeed as it were. So I, you know, I read stories every day, you know, and it's, it can get quite overwhelming at times, but I've had to train myself to observe and not to absorb, you know, right. because if you absorb, especially if you're, I'm a, quite a sensitive guy. So, you know, if you're seeing the doom and gloom every day, people suffering every day, then, you know, if you're not emotionally healthy, if you don't have kind of strategies to de-stress yourself, then you're going to end up quite possibly burning yourself out. Yeah. You know, and I've been there and I've been through a burnout before, not, not due to being an advocate for abuse, but I, I was a, uh, a unison shop steward. Basically, I was a union, I was a union rep, effectively. So I'm also, again, helping people, advising people, supporting people, etc. So it's always been kind of like a part of my life, kind of like one way or another. It's just, I suppose it's just more, I wouldn't say formal, yeah, but more formal now, more official now. Um, but I've always been the kind of, uh, oh, the go-to guy. Go and ask Nigel. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then, which is cool, I know, because if I don't know, something I'll, I'll find out i'll do my because one of the things about myself I'm a, I'm a natural researcher i'm very curious about everything really if i don't know something i think oh well, what's, you know what's that about then let's, let's have a look see what we can find out so i've always been that way inclined really and i don't see the point in having a load of information in my head and it's not helping anybody. Right. What, what, what good is that? It's not a question of, oh, well, you know, Nigel knows X, Y, Z. Is that, well, who is, is this information going to help? Or how can it help somebody? Uh, so that's what I, you know, that's really my motivation is really just raising awareness, you know. And, um, and even within the raising awareness, I'm learning things as well. You know, I don't know everything, you know, so, you know, I come across certain situations online in terms of um, abusive relationships or someone may ask a question and I might think, hmm, not, I'm not quite sure about that. So, uh, so I'll go and do the research. And research doesn't, I mean, in this day and age, it's not like when I was growing up, you had to get the book or go to the library. You know, once you're, yeah, once you're kind of like, looking at credible sources of information. So like I like online, who do I like? Psychology Today. You know, I, I often refer to their articles, for example, because I have they've got credible people, you know, who write the articles, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, etc. And and there's quite quite a few other good, really good websites you can get good information from. Mm-hmm.